0: cool let's do it let's do it okay yes welcome to something to do a um music podcast um centered on i don't know i mean i used to say exclusively the replacements and who's for do but that's not necessarily our sole focus these days um so it's all
1: tangentially related though Yeah.
0: yeah that's true we
1: find a way to connect it
0: yeah yeah um, so this week we were gonna do this time, excuse me, we were gonna do um, who's gonna 1984 classic uh, Zen Arcade. However, we decided to kind of switch things up a little bit because we had something really cool. Um, do you want to do you want to talk about what's going on this week, Greg?
1: Yeah. So we ended up uh, securing a really cool conversation with Ken Stringfellow. Um, Ken Stringfellow played in, or plays in, rather, sorry, plays in the Posies. He does solo stuff, which Mm -hmm. we'll talk about in a little bit. He uh, was in R.E.M. from like 1998 until 2005. He was uh, an auxiliary member. He played uh, on the tour for Up, and then he's actually on the Reveal album and the uh, Around the Sun album. Mm-hmm. And uh, Big Star, he was in Big Star. Yep. And he still does the, when they have those like tribute show type of things um, with Jody Stevens and a bunch of guests, he still does those. Um, he played in White Flag for a little, he's been in a bunch of bands. Uh, he plays, he produced and played on a Lag Wagon record. The, mm-hmm. Yes, the, the Fat Records Band, uh, their album Double Platinum. Mm -hmm. Um, And then he even went on a tour for that, I think, in Europe. Um, Just a a real, like, he has a very vast library. And, you know, I'd reached out because I'd I'd seen him multiple times mention the influence of specifically Husker Du on the posies and just on him as a songwriter. And, you know, usually for these interviews, we'll put, like, so-and-so talks replacements or talk, but this one is just Ken Stringfellow because we kind of talked about both, you know, the yeah. posies toured with the replacements and, yeah. um, so it's just a really cool conversation.
0: Yeah. But I yeah. guess
1: before we get to that, yeah, there is a little bit of what's new. Yeah. So as first off, serendipitously, if that's the right word, yeah. today <laughs> is the, as we're recording this, so this will date this, is the 29 year anniversary of Sugar Copper Blue.
0: Whoa, cool. I didn't realize that. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, I I just got a, my my memory showed me. So we, uh, and we haven't done a Copper Blue episode. um, To wait until it turns 30, I don't know.
0: We'll see. (laughs) But,
1: so think about that. So nine years ago was that um, ripping concert at, union transfer.
0: Yeah. We were both at that.
1: Yeah. Um, where, you know, Bob and John and Jason played through the whole copper blue record and then did a bunch of hoosker do stuff and yeah. some other stuff. What a great show, but yeah, 29 years, which is crazy. That's why, um, but so that's, that's our hoosker news. There's some replacements news. It is time yet again, apparently for another box set. Um, And, you know, it's interesting. We talked to Bob Meir and, uh, you know, he kind of hinted that there's something people keep. Yeah. If people keep buying them, they're going to make them. Yeah. So, I mean, I bought the last two. I bought this one coming up. So hopefully they keep making them. Um, So this is for Sorry Ma Forgot to Take Out the Trash Replacements uh, you know, they want I think they wanted to coincide it with the 40 year anniversary. Uh, cause it actually just turned 40, which is crazy wild. And, um, so it's, a, it's, you know, same format as, as the please to meet me and the, um, don't tell a soul or dead man's pop, mm-hmm. uh, it's got, you know, a hundred tracks spread across four CDs. There is one vinyl LP that comes with it. The vinyl LP is not the album. It's like alternate takes, I think, to make up, sort of like they did with uh, the last two. Yeah. Um. So it's like alternate takes and mixes from the sessions. Uh, and this is the part that's the coolest, I think. A previously unreleased 27-track live concert recorded January 23rd, 81, at the 7th Street entry in Minneapolis. Yeah. So... Rhino has them for, you know, they have the standard one. And then they have like a um, a deluxe one where you get like some, as the British call them badges. You know, they get little pins uh, and you get a bumper sticker that says, I hate music, uh, a show flyer. It's like a replica of that 7th Street entry uh, show flyer and the original i'm in trouble seven inch single like a a repressing of that it's awesome um so that's if you do it through rhino but i've seen it you know indie stores are going to get it yeah Um, pop market had it for a nice price wink so that might be where where you want to (laughs) go um, <laughs> Amazon, you know, all the usual places, but I, I would say the best bet is to, you know, hit an indie store or one of the online shops. Yeah. Um, we'll, well do an episode on it for sure. Uh, once it's been out for a little bit and we have time to absorb liner notes by Bob Muir, of course, you know, it comes with a nice booklet. Yeah. Um, a so yeah, so Bob Muir. yeah, every it seems like every year we're getting one of these around September, October. So yeah. I'll take it. I don't know if they're going to do it for like stink, but I'm sure they'll do something for like Tim or, yeah. um, I would love to see something for Tim or for um, like all shut down. I'm sure mm-hmm. there's stuff,
0: yeah, that'd be awesome.
1: Which, of course, means you know, because there's a lot of when these come out, you of course get the people complaining, Why is it CDs? Why isn't it vinyl? And Bob talked about that. He said, you know, to keep the cost down if they yeah. printed. know a six lp set it's going to be way out of people's most people's price range
0: yeah but it seems like what they
1: do let's say yeah let's say this i'm not going to be surprised if record store day for black friday depending on pressing plant delays like if they already had a plan will be like a double lp of that live set or something
0: good call good call
1: so they do it like that but yeah so if you're a replacements fan, which obviously you are if you're listening, um you got something to look forward to October 22nd.
0: Yeah. Cool. And then want, any anything else? That's that, that's mainly the yeah. exciting new stuff happening. Um, um I guess we'll we'll say now
1: before the show we talk about it. Um we're making sure to put this out. To give people a heads up that may not know, Ken Stringfellow has a live stream um, show on September the 11th, Um, it is uh, September the 11th, 2021, uh, and it is in honor of the 20th anniversary of his solo album, Touched. Uh, Touched came out on September 11th, 2001. Yeah. You know, obviously we all know what happened. It's a uh, Saturday, 9 11 at 2 PM Eastern time. Um, and he's got, uh, he's going to perform the album. Uh, you know, tickets are, you know, 20 bucks, but we did that posies. Yeah, say
0: We like air quotes attended the posies yeah, and it was,
1: awesome. it was worth it. It was yeah. really fun. Um, they sounded great. Mm -hmm. There's a bunch of surprises. And and like Ken said, uh, these are like usually a two hour thing. So the album's only 50 minutes. So I'm sure there's going to be lots of cool stuff. And there's an option to request a song. Uh, There's an option to uh, have him write a song and perform it for you. Wow. Um, So any info, like Ken says in the interview, go to his Instagram at Ken Stringfellow. And there's a link in there to get a ticket. Again, it's September 11th, 2 p.m. The album is touched. Uh, You can listen to it. It's on Spotify. Uh, I was able to procure a used CD a couple months back. For
0: nice, it's a
1: really yeah, it's a really good, uh, really good record. So, why don't we let Ken do the talking? Welcome, everybody, to a new episode of Something to Do. Um, today is a very special one for us. Uh, we have an interview here with Ken Stringfellow of Solo Artist, The Posies, REM, hmm. Big Star, Lag Wagon, White Flag. Am I missing any, Ken? Oh,
0: Quite I'm a few, somewhere. I
2: think. Yeah, there's been a lot of things. Those are pretty good highlights.
1: So, we're here today to talk about Husker du. Um, You know what we do on this podcast is we're huge Husker du replacements fans, and we usually just talk to people and let them geek out about one of them. And I thought, you know what, like I've read a lot of interviews with you um, mm-hmm. about you know your love and admiration for Husker Du, and I just thought it'd be cool to you know pick your brain a little bit about this band that's been so important to a lot of us. Um, One thing I did read, which was interesting because I think, you know, a lot of times something that kind of gets lost for people in the internet age is how important like rock journalism, whether it be magazines or fanzines is in discovering new music. And Mm -hmm. you're the second interview we've had where someone discovered the band from a review. Um, Our friend, Uh Sal Canestra, who we interviewed before, he discovered the replacements Let It Be from a Rolling mm-hmm. Stone review. And I understand that you too discovered the uh Zen Arcade. who's screwed Zen Arcade? Can you talk a little bit about what that was like? Like just getting that magazine and reading the review?
2: Yeah. Well, for context, uh I grew up in a small town in Washington State um called Bellingham. Uh and we're talking about the 80s, of course, when Husker du was generally active. Um, and as I shouldn't have to explain, but for some of the kiddies out there, you know, the, the information was few and far between. Um, we didn't get a lot of radio in that town. The college radio station at that time was super small and only occasionally even reached my house, You know, just a few miles away, um, et cetera, et cetera. And as far as magazines, what I could get in that town, um, you know, basically, uh, I think my parents gave me a subscription to Rolling Stone every Christmas. Um, there was Musician, which is a really good one um, that I used to uh, pick up on the newsstands. Um, and those are kind of the main ones. I mean, Maximum Rock and Roll would have been great, but it was kind of hard to come by and stuff like that. So yeah, I didn't have a ton of info and, and um, was just, you know, in those early 80s, um, was trying to kind of figure out what, what exactly were people talking about when they were talking about punk rock, you know, I I kept, you know, like, like the, uh, the three blind men describing the elephant, I kept coming up against these really incongruous aspects. I mean, okay, I read about the Ramones, and I got some Ramones records. Oh, okay, so that's punk. Then I got Combat Rock by The Clash, and like, okay, well, this doesn't have anything to do with the Ramones at all, blah, blah, blah. Uh, then they got the Dead Kennedys, um, et cetera. Well, then I read about Zen Arcade in Rolling Stone. Um, did, am I correct in uh, remembering that Michael Azarad wrote that review? Um,
1: um, I looked I looked it up. It was David Frick who, who also- Oh, it was David was like Frick who actually time. wrote it. Oh, wow. Yeah.
2: Um, wow, okay. Well, anyway, it was a great review and it was really intriguing. Um, and just, you know, just talking about the scope and everything of that album and that it kind of once again exploded kind of like the, you know, the, any kind of box you would want to put in, put around any, kind around this artist who nominally were a punk band. Um, and then came trying to find the record. Um, and that took a little while, typical of the small town thing, you know, just going to the record store. Um, there was a couple of them downtown and I'd go after school and look through the stuff and you know, know who's records for a while, but it it eventually got there SST. I will say to their credit, uh, managed to get records into pretty far flung places. Um, And so eventually I got the record. And yeah, I mean, what a cosmic trip. I mean, um, it's just, it's so many things and it's so, um, You know, it's not even as strange in certain ways as some who scripted recordings, but they they do have a kind of a strange sound, you know, like just trying to capture uh, Grant's drumming style is, I think was probably pretty challenging. Um, You know, it it was just, uh, once again, like I realized that um, not only was I never gonna have the answer to what is punk rock, um, but with that record, I realized there actually is no answer. I mean, the, we we can be anything. We artists, whatever. I didn't really think of myself as an artist yet, but um, you know, like, the, how can you have a rule book in a world where this record exists? How can there's just it's just completely uh, at at um, coming at different angles from so many uh, from any kind of like square notion of what rock or punk or alternative, which wasn't didn't exist yet, um, was. I think we called it college rock back in those days, actually.
1: Yeah, because that was before they had even called stuff alternative. And like the thing I can only imagine, like hearing Zen Arcade as your first one, too, like because it has this and you you open, you know, it's got the gatefold and you, you look through the liner notes and it even tells you how quickly it was recorded. And, yeah. you know, a lot of the stuff being first takes and just this really raw. I mean, you mentioned Ramones. And the clash, like compared to to compared to this, you know, those records sound like they were produced by you know Mutt Lang or something. Like it's just like well, I mean Kasufino they're working by slick. the by
2: the time I heard the clash, they were working with Glenn Johns, you know, who's like kind of the preeminent name from classic rock, you know, Zeppelin Stones and Beatles. Right. So they kind of moved to that echelon.
1: And then, you know, who's girdle? That record starts off with you know something I learned today, just like fast hardcore song goes into another fast song and then you get an acoustic song yeah Um, and yeah it just does kind of just really run the gamut um did you did you get to see them eventually
2: yeah well okay so then from there um I was totally hooked um I would say uh something just to sort of Go in there. Something I learned today Chartered Trips, you know, those, some of the songs from Side One. Um, There's that thing of Bob Mold's voice just sounding like it had a sock like stuffed down his throat. I've never heard anybody sing like that. I mean, it just sounded so inhuman in a certain way, but, but also extremely emotional. And then, yeah, then there's uh, Never Talking to You Again, um, which is this acoustic song and it's, you know, totally emotional in a different way. I mean, what, what a a palette. on that record. And then there's the, um, what's the thing, uh, Mon- the, the little piano thing It's called Monday will never be the same.
1: Yeah. And then there's the two fairy. Um, yeah. And then and I'm always bad. So so
2: yeah. Um, so, uh, and then there's, you know, of course, reoccurring dreams, which is just like completely mind blowing. Um, but anyway, yeah. So there's there just, all over the place. Well, of course, I was really intrigued, and, and, um, and then I started to try and get everything. I, I don't really remember how long a lag it was between um, hearing about the record and actually getting my hands on it. It could be quite long in those days for for me to read about something and and for it to actually show up in in, in Bellingham, Washington. Um, so, because
1: Bellingham's like you said about I, I remembered reading with an interview with uh, you or maybe with John like 90 miles from seattle right something like that yeah it's it's an, yeah. it's
2: 90 miles north of seattle it's you know just shy of the canadian border um it is a, you know a decent sized town i mean i think back in those days it was probably about 50 60 000 um and it had a you know a, a, a state university there so there was some inter- you know people coming and going because of the university and some there was a college station and some interesting stuff going on um, but you know, 50,000, it's kind of small and it might as well have been miles. I mean, a thousand miles from Seattle, uh, and, and Seattle, we should also note at this point didn't really exist. I mean, as, as the cultural reference point that we know it as today, uh, Seattle is a very sleepy, um, yeah, what you could compare it to uh, it'd be more like. I don't know, Portland, Maine, even though Portland, Maine is is not that small, but more of like a, you know, like a quaint, decent sized town, small city. With um, So, you know, Seattle wasn't the place to be by any means yet either. Anyway, yeah, because I know that um, was like
1: kind of what made Seattle. The whole thing was that a lot of bands like punk bands wouldn't be able to get up there. So it was sort of the the idea of like making, you know, that's why there was just all these bands like, well, they're not going to come here. We'll just, you know, start bands and go watch our friends bands. And then it built this giant thing. Like you said, that now is this cultural thing. People say Seattle and you just think, Oh my gosh. And you think of all the, you know, all these bands, but it wasn't like that. So like, I think what black flag,
2: Seattle or they did um, even in the early days, but uh, and there was a punk, there were punk bands coming. There were a couple punk venues. Um, which of course, I, you know, there's places that I only know about from the legends like uh, Gorilla Gardens or the Metropolis, um, where, where uh, Husker Do and The Replacements at different times played. But I, was, I wasn't I was there yet. Um, and getting to Seattle was not so easy for me. Um, but major bands, you know, bands on the regular touring circuit would routinely skip Seattle. Um, Seattle is more of a metal town. Um, and in fact, you can kind of see where the Seattle sound came from because of the punk bands and the metal bands would actually bother to get there and uh, other things, not so much. I mean, for example, like um, when the Smiths did their last U.S. tour, uh, they, you know, they did skip Seattle. There's I had to get uh, on a plane and go see them in um, Berkeley. Uh, oh, wow. But yeah. So that that that, they, that gave kind of um, Seattle its original edge because, yeah, people had to make their own fun. Um, kind of deal. So, yeah, so I, you know, from, from Zen Arcade, uh, I branched out and I eventually, you know, uh, I got uh, a a land speed record and um, I never found a copy of metal circus. That album just didn't hit me until way later because it just didn't show up. Uh, But then came, um, you know, flip your wig. And that was huge. I mean, like that just, you know, completely blew my mind and then candy apple gray. And then, you know, by the time, warehouse came out i mean they Fuskeru were kind of like pop stars i mean like you know they, they their video um hey uh, got played on mtv and things like this and they they'd, they'd gone through this incredible transformation um to become a rather uh i don't know i mean they weren't polished because they still sounded so strange um but they wrote these beautiful songs and they just kind of coalesced the great, great songwriters. I mean, they, they had already had that notion, um, you know, that was already kind of happening on those early records. But, it, you know, just I would put uh, could you be the one uh, up with any old any song by any band, um, you know, in terms of just beautiful songwriting chops. It's almost like the birds or something like that.
1: I was um, actually going to say with with you, you know, that had to be cool for you just knowing your musical trajectory, you know, mm-hmm. knowing the, 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 posies and, you know, big stars, all that Husker do mm-hmm. had to probably check all the boxes for you too, because they had that like sixties, you know, birds influence and psychedelic stuff, but also punk. Like, were you, were you into the, the harder stuff, like the hardcore stuff, um, or was like, like, were there other, I know you mentioned Dead Kennedys and Black Flag, like, were you into yeah. a lot of the other, you know, hardcore stuff as well back then?
2: I mean, what I could get my hands on, I was interested in, in, in intense music. Um, so, uh, I had, you know, some, some of the Diriger records of the time, uh, MDC. Um, I was trying to think of some other singles. I, you know, my, my parents were divorced. Um, And that's why we ended up in Bellingham. My mom moved us to this little town where uh, her brother had been living um, for a fresh start. And my dad stayed on behind where we'd come from, which was Chicago. So I'd go visit my dad, um, you know, on summer breaks and whatnot. And he lived right down the street from Wax Tracks, um, which is a fantastic record store. And um, so they had always had like all the punk rock singles. So I could go, you know, on my my summer breaks uh, to Chicago and, and load up on, I mean, I didn't know what I was buying. I just buy the whatever looked the craziest and super interesting. The, the way that we used to do more often yeah. um, and can still do in your favorite record store, but you go and you might buy something because now oh, this looks cool. No idea what it sounds like um, kind of thing. So, I mean, and I, and I went to some shows, but I, I suppose that like um, there's an echelon for me of like. Uh, there's experimental music you know like which 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 i think is a whole different category like throbbing gristle or something like that um which you know just strange and sometimes slightly unnerving sonic textures i really liked um and i like great songs so you know the dead kennedys and huscredu and even black flag you know like even though the black flags is maybe a little more raw um, they had this song element that you know you could you could totally um I don't know there's a focused kind of nature to their composition um that 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 set it apart from what I would call experimental experimental music as opposed to something like Gone, you know, Greg Gin's other band. That was more in the right, you know, jamming jazz rock kind of kind of vibe.
1: Were you into um were you into like the DC stuff, Discord, like those early records too? I didn't really know about
2: those until later. Um those did not get the same level of distribution as the SST record. Saccharin Trust, that's another band that SST band that, that I was able to get in Bellingham. And we're, you know, these records would wash up on the beach of your local record store and be like little messages in a bottle from a, a very different place than, than the way my town was. Um, but yeah, the, the Discord stuff didn't, at least or no one was bringing my attention to it at least. Uh, none of my friends knew about it. Um, so I missed that on the West Coast. And I didn't, I didn't see the records. And so, yeah, I just missed those till later. I had to catch up on that.
1: Yeah. We've, I've talked about that um, before, either on, whether it's on this podcast or on uh, you know, other podcasts or whatever about how much of stuff before the internet was really contingent on where you lived. And I think you mentioned friends, like if your friends mm-hmm. didn't hit, like, you know, you had a group of friends that liked, you know, underground music or whatever. And if there was a band that wasn't on the radar of them, chances are it wouldn't be on yours. So you get into some things late, you know, let's yeah, say late. I'd say, I always say it's really never too late, but you know, you get into some things later than everybody else because it wasn't on the radar. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I don't think
2: I heard the replacements until 80, until 86 when I moved to Seattle. Um, I think right as I arrived, um, and was living in the dorms in Seattle. Uh, a friend of mine there was like astonished that I didn't know Let It Be um, and played that record for me. It just completely blew my mind. Like, how have I missed this? But that's, you know, Record Store Roulette in Bellingham, Washington.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's such a useful thing to bear in mind too when thinking about music now in 2021, because like the replacement, or excuse me, who's going to do talk about touring on New Day Rising? and Mm -hmm. like the musical infrastructure wasn't even set up such that like they were touring and doing like record store appearances and didn't even have copies of the record to sell to people and would have to like sign photocopied copies of it yeah
1: i was going to bring up when you mentioned zen arcade not being at the store like that was like a whole thing was that sst didn't even they didn't have the money to press enough so they'd go on tour and they like stores wouldn't have the copies. Oh. Um, wow. So I got yeah. lucky. Yeah, and like it was like cuz I guess you know SST would do these crazy things too where they that came out the same day as Double Nickels on the Dime. So they're like releasing two double LPs. It's back to back review, right? Also in Rolling Stone. Um I, it might have been in, in print. I think it's a two uh, I think it's
2: a two for review in in print. Um and uh and of course I didn't find the the Minutemen record. Sounded interesting, but it took me a while for that to. uh, Yeah, it's just again record store roulette. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's so like I always, you know, I and for those of us have children too, it's like you're you're almost like man, you don't know how easy you have it just to have with music and even with television. Like you know, we'll say like you know, back in our day, if you didn't watch a TV show when it was on, that was it. You know, and it's kind of the same thing with music. Like if you didn't have access to the record or the, or the tape or CD or whatever what was it that you couldn't just go, Oh, let me check out Hoosker do. I'm going to you know, type it in YouTube. And now you can just listen to their entire body of work and demos and everything. Um, so yeah. when was the first time that you saw the, the Hooskers live?
2: The only time, um, was okay. basically the summer between, uh, Let's see, it was 87, so it was warehouse tour 87. So that was the summer between my two years of college. Okay. Um, so it was July 7th, July 10th, Is early July. They played at the Hub Ballroom, uh, which is the student union ballroom at the University of Washington, where at that time I was a student um, and it was fantastic. Um, they played pretty much the record in order that was just kind of their thing, um, and it was—it sounded so good. It's just an incredible sounding show. It sounded really like a giant stereo. I mean, it, I mean, I know Husker Du and Bob Mold in particular is known for you know kind of an abrasive sonic presence, um, but or maybe I don't know. Maybe I just my ears were so resilient at that time. It, it sounded, but to me, it just sounded like a huge stereo, and it sounded really good. Um, I remember the whole uh crowd like doing like kind of a lean on each other and swaying thing for she floated away um i mean people were really into it and it was great and of course so i was there with my uh soon to be bandmate john hour of uh, the posies we we of course we knew each other already in in high school um so uh, we, you know, we were already friends and already had done some music together. But uh, this was just before the posies were, we would start writing songs and using that name and whatnot. Um, but we were both there and uh, we went, hung around after, and got um, the guys to sign something. And it was very funny because there was a piece of paper around that was some kind of evaluation sheet or something like that. It's the only thing I could find around the backstage. And it was great. So uh, Bob signed it. Grant signed it. Uh, but um, Greg, he was doing this stuff about like he actually filled in the little form, you uh, saying you know Dr. Whoopi, you know fills out this form uh, about um, about the subject of shit, and uh, Dr. Whoopi doesn't know shit and blah 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 and all this kind of stuff. It was, very, it was pretty funny. Um, I'm sure I have that in a scrapbook somewhere.
1: So you mentioned Greg um you guys have actually played with Greg on base a couple times recently just this past July when you did that show in Seattle. I guess the first thing I have to ask is did you tell that story to Greg the first time you met him and did he happen to remember it? Uh
2: like hey, no, we met I you didn't. backstage. I, I,
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think he would probably remember so I
2: didn't bring that one up. But but what I did bring up this time um, so, uh, sorry, there's this this glare, so I'm not sure, I just have to kind of, I'm not trying to be too mysterious here, but I'm just trying to keep the glare sure. out of the picture. Um, my first wife, uh, Kim Warnick, uh, was the bass player in the band The Fastbacks. We were married in the early 90s for a little bit. Um, And she was a little bit older than, well, she is still a little bit older than I am. It's starting to matter less and less. Um, And she had been playing in the Fastbacks, they'd started in 1980. So there was a story that she told me about this punk rock house that she lived in um, where Huskeru came and stayed and kind of never left. Um, And uh, I mentioned this in the song, um, Grant Hart um you know at some point that that she had noticed because i mean my you know uh, kim was no stranger to uh drug use you know i think she probably had noticed that uh you know she implied that grant was probably looking for things to do in their downtime if you know what i mean um etc etc uh anyway and i was so i asked greg about that story and he said because i said you know she said that you know you guys showed up played and then a bunch of shows got canceled so it's like you just never left and he said, no, we didn't, the shows didn't get canceled. We didn't even have any. We just showed up and got, you know, we showed up way out in Seattle. And that's as far as we'd been able to work out. And, you know, we got this, they were, I think they got added to a bill with DOA, um, which, you know, they were friends with the Fastbacks and played a lot of shows together. So um, that was probably the connection to the house that they stayed at, et cetera, et cetera. And then they were just trying to book more shows and nothing was coming through for like, you know, I mean, I think they ended up staying for like 10 days or maybe even two weeks or something like that. But they're desperately trying to have a tour. It just it wasn't, it wasn't worked out that far in advance. And then uh, they just couldn't make more stuff happen. But even that DOA show. Um, oh, there's a Dead Kennedy show. there was that there's a Dead Kennedy show they they did two shows on that trip. And like one of them was just literally like going down to the venue in Seattle, like that afternoon and kind of just hanging around and, and seeing if they could play this kind of thing. I mean, it was, it was that down and dirty.
1: Back then. Yeah. Now you could, now you couldn't do that show up to a venue and be like, Hey, uh, can we, mind if we hop on the set? But, uh, yeah, you read a lot. about Yeah. Yeah, we did. Um, we did do that with the posies once that,
2: um, we were playing in Olympia, and the band Naked Aggression, who you might remember from um, the Decline Three, um, uh, they had they were coming through town, and their their shows had fallen through. And they're like, "Hey, can we play in your show?" And we're like, "Yeah, hop on up." Gave them a set. I mean, it could still happen if you have the right kind of people and the right kind of mentality. Um, I, I I've never been that fond of, you know, the People, the way people talk about the music business or the music industry is that it's you know that it should be that regimented, um, which is you know why I made some of the choices I've made and how I do some of the things I do blah blah blah. But you know I, I like the the easy solution of punk rock. You know.
1: Yeah. Did you so the Posies? The Posies, you guys would play like shows with a lot of different kind of bands, which I always thought was cool. Like you know even just doing research um because like this past like during pandemic times i've gone through down a real like posies rabbit hole wow. um and uh you know because again it was one of those things where i didn't even though i was around in the 90s i didn't mm-hmm. like i knew you guys and then in my older years i became like obsessed because i was like oh my god this is fantastic and i would read about you guys like playing with all sorts of bands what are some of the weirdest like Bands that you guys have shared bills with?
2: Well, uh, there have been a few moments where um, bec- there's like a in the early 90s before the alternative um, radio format took off, like that's like mid 90s. Uh, you know, the places where Nirvana and Alice in Chains um, and those kind of bands and Soundgarden were getting played. Uh, you know we're on rock radio and so you know rock radio which had been playing to that point like acdc and zebra and whatever um which all fine um you know they they pivoted to accommodate this you know these new bands um sorry it's my my wife's phones ringing there i'm just gonna put that over there somewhere um so you know w- when when geffen was Trying to uh, work our record going down the same channels that they'd worked Nirvana, you know, rock radio was the most likely place. And, and Dream All Day was a single that, you know, I mean it's 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 not a very um, I mean it's, you know it's not a hard rock song, but it, it's you know it's kind of got a rock grit to it, and it's you know got a tough kind of you know its delivery. It it could work, and it it did work on on rock radio um, more so than say college radio. Um, So, But by virtue of the fact that these two eras were kind of cohabitating, the the previous rock radio era and uh, the new rock radio era on the same stations, we got billed with a couple of bands. Uh, For example, um, July 4th, 1993, uh, at the Pinellas County uh, Fairgrounds in Pinellas Park, Florida, the greater Tampa area, we had the pleasure, the distinct pleasure of supporting Winger.
0: Wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh
2: and you know, um, and oh yeah, not Great White and Winger actually is Great White Winger. Wow. Wow. And the Posey and a band called Animal Bag, who are kind of a more of an alternative uh, funky hard rock band, if I recall correctly. Um, but anyway, we you know, we survived the experience. Um barely. But we survived. Um, but on the other on the other token, you know, um, we had this wonderful festival in Seattle called Bumbershoot um, that started, uh, I think, in 1970, and kind of dragged on until 2014. They managed to kill it off slowly but surely uh, through various kinds of bad judgment. Um, but one of the things that Bumbershoot was remarkable for was its incredible diversity. I mean, there was really it takes over Seattle Center, the place where the Space Needle is, and all that. And you had many, many, many kinds of music all day long. For you know, really something for everybody. It was not a rock festival. It was a it was a Labor Day arts and music celebration, and theater, and spoken word, and this. you know, they had a little bit of really everything. So, uh, for example, we shared uh, a bill with uh, Bobby Blue Bland and Albert Collins. Um, which is a totally normal thing for for Bumbershoot. Um, for example, I saw just to give you another idea of a typical bumper shoot bill, I saw the 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 Screaming Trees with Buck
1: Owens.
0: Wow. Gosh. Yeah. I had the um, Buck
1: Owens like Christmas album, I think, uh somewhere in my collection.
2: Well, uh, it was a great show. Um, but yeah, so just it was super diverse. So there's things that that happen like that. Um trying to think of um, other, I mean, yeah, so uh, I'm sure there's more that I could think of, but those are, those are two pretty good examples. One that really kind of almost didn't, I mean, we escaped with our lives with the great white thing and um, we we were none the worse to wear, but, you know, playing with, you know, an R&B legend, like Bobby Blue Bland, who I was already a fan of, I mean, that was, that was fantastic. And, you know, people, people love that. I I do, um, I've always loved those, uh, like strange uh you know Bill Graham kind of like you know Led Zeppelin with Rashawn Roland Kirk kind of bills. I mean I just think that's that's how it should be. You should be getting a um you should be getting two servings of the same stuff. You should be getting like a nice unusual little sampler of what music has to offer.
0: Yeah, I absolutely yeah absolutely agree. I mean that kind of what you're describing in those shows is like what um Greg and I have talked about this on this podcast, but you know, is what really attracts me to a band like Who's Could is that you get an album like Zen Arcade that has such a range of musical sounds on it um, that there's really like so much to pull a listener in.
2: Sorry, another Yeah. Phone. Literally, our phones haven't rung in like a month.
0: <laughs> no one
1: calls us. And they the knew, are, like, yeah. Well, they
0: knew. The they knew you were going to be a... interviewed on something to do podcast. The phones <laughs> yeah. are ringing off the hook. So here's something funny. Um,
2: Last year, I was doing a a podcast here, uh, almost exactly this time of year. And um, just like this with the three, you know, there are three people with the the video going. And we had been raising a baby bird that we found. A little baby uh, House Martin, basically. And uh, she uh, was living in a little shoebox over there um and right as we're doing this podcast was the first day that she decided to fly and she like saw me who I'd been you know we all took turns feeding her and stuff like that and uh she saw me and right in the middle of the podcast she like took off for the first time and flew like right into me and then like fell down because she, you know it's the first time she'd ever flown blah 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 and so like Dominique and my daughter were like oh my god you know like trying to Rescue this bird that ended up behind the radiator for a second. It was, yeah. So podcasts bring out the the best here, evidently, at this house.
1: (laughs) So, yeah, but but I like what you said, too, about the diverse bills. Like, you know, uh, Jude and I, we both, you know, my, my, our, you know, we met through the hardcore scene.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, But, like, in the 90s, you would have these, like varied shows where you would have like a, maybe a a band almost on the metallic side, like someone like Earth Crisis, but you would have, Mm -hmm. you know, Texas is the reason who's like an emo band playing. And I always just thought those were the most enjoyable shows because yeah, you're not getting, I loved your, the metaphor of like two servings of the same thing. Like you're getting, you're getting, Mm -hmm. you're getting a sampling and, um, that's what I I just I really appreciate about music is the when there's this you know kind of wide variety. So did you guys did you ever play with Sugar? No, I, I
2: saw them play live okay. um, at one point Would in Seattle. Good, good bill. Um, but I did do a record um, for uh, a Boston musician named Richie Parsons. I produced his record. Mm, three years ago four years ago that malcolm travis is the drummer on that record oh cool we did that that was a nice um that was a nice hang
1: um so how did you guys kind of going back to the greg norton how did you end up linking up with him just like is he a was he a posies fan too and uh you know because i saw there's video on youtube i don't know if it was the first time you uh had him come out but it was like in the 2000 you know 2008 or something am I thinking or 2018 maybe I saw yes yeah,
2: 2018 yeah 18. so it was our 30th anniversary tour and um we were playing at the turf club in Minneapolis um and basically like the band he was playing with at the time porcupine um you know they they wanted to open um and we had support with us we, uh Tara Lightfoot um was opening for us on that tour with her band um but we're like well it's you know Greg Norton plays in this band I'm like hell yeah like let's find a way to make it work um and so we worked that out and and then you know uh I think he kind of I don't know maybe um maybe he approached the subject with John or something like that uh, about maybe doing a couple of tunes and and that was just like way too huge to even think about but How are we going to say no to that? I mean, that would just be so wild. So um, yeah, we did well. We did four songs, and then he also he was aware of the song Grant Hart um, that we had, and um, he he wanted to do that too. Um, And uh, you know, we we said like, well, yeah. Do do you you know the tune? He goes, it's I think it's in my DNA. He said. (laughs) <laughs> uh, you know we actually you know we had like basically repurposed Husker Du DNA to make that song so right um that's that's basically what he's saying that it <laughs> it, 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 it was a good enough homage that it that it made musical sense to him it's a great um, great song thank you um yeah so what inspired did,
1: uh, you to, to write that song like was it because it, I say it's almost like uh it's like your version of you know, the replacement, Alex, Child
2: exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I just um, I think for me, like. Watching the alternative music explosion and watch all that money get made, uh, not by us, by the way, but by other bands, <laughs> um, you know, and just seeing the kind of like, I mean, in some cases, shall we say, maybe just slightly watered down principles of, you know, considering the, the, the references that some of those bands might make, I don't want to name any names or anything, but um, you know, that, that maybe that, that the the punk rock roots that were being name checked might not actually be translating into the product delivered, um, right. you know, which might have more in common with just good old AOR rock or something not that i mean not that there's anything wrong with that but it's kind of like how you uh what flags you're flying as it were um i don't know if i'm really explaining that very well but just seemed like maybe there's a there's a certain tepidness to some of the the alternative product that by mid 90s was just being you know delivered to cash in on you know the breakthrough success of you know a more visionary band like nirvana um but um and i because Who's crew kind of flamed out in the 80s, um, they kind of weren't really there to be represented in the conversation, in a sense. I mean, you know, the Meat Puppets, for example, are a fantastic band, another SST band whose albums I was able to get, actually, um, who also, once again, completely, like, didn't make any sense in my attempt to trying to corral my mind around what is punk rock. Um, anyway, but, you know, they, they, they were still around to, to get, you know, have, be brought up by Nirvana and to do the unplugged thing. And they had a little bit of a hit record after that. And, um, you know, there's, there's bands that kind of had, had, had survived the period and were, were, were being referenced or had even prospered, you know, like, you know, like REM was an important eighties band, who, you know, by, even if they'd stopped in 1989, um, you know, and then they went on to be like, maybe the, most consequential American band of the nineties next to Nirvana um, kind of thing, um, blah, 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 blah. They just, who's screwed just seemed to kind of disappear from that whole conversation. And I was like, no, if who's could hadn't done what they'd done. Um, th- then the whole idea of Kurt Cobain writing a hard rock song. That's got this beautiful melody might never have happened. That was my idea. That's the, the, the you know, dinosaur the softening of dinosaur junior into a more melodic band, all that kind of stuff, or even Sonic Youth. Husker Dude definitely had a, a role to play in that transformation. And it just didn't seem to get the credit um that I felt it should in that story of you know how we got to where we were at that time, 1996, when that song came out. I probably wrote it in 95.
1: Yeah, no, I I yeah. you know we've we've talked too about how like, you know, in that well, first off, like Nirvana, that was like, well, REM and Nirvana were like ground zero for me. Like that was how I got into all of this was through mm-hmm. REM. And then REM got me to Nirvana. And, you know, I've always said like REM's their REM's my favorite band. That's my favorite band in the world. Like they're my number one favorite band. But they didn't really make me want to investigate. Like I was just happy with rem like listen to rem didn't really care what their influences were or anything was like you know i'm fine with that but something about nirvana i think because of the fact they would name check so many bands you know like Uh, yeah about that way yeah 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 and um you'd never really hear them mention husker do Um, You know, they would mention, like you said, meat puppets. And I got into Mm -hmm. so many things from them, from Jesus Lizard to The Raincoats to Daniel Johnston to Bad Brains and Fugazi Mm -hmm. and whatever. Um, But Husker Du, and it was almost funny that, like, it happened retroactively where now Dave Grohl will -hmm. acknowledge the huge influence that, that Bob Mould had on him. But, you know, I guess in Nirvana, he was... The drummer he wasn't the right. songwriter the so i get why he maybe voice. didn't have the, the voice but yeah it's like they kind of paved the way they were the them and the replacements were both the first of that whole scene to sign to the majors um you know i mean that was because technically rem didn't sign till 88 you know so it's like yeah. they really did pave the way um and I just think it's, yeah, gets and a we team. can also open up a little bracket
2: that, um, had REM not seen, uh, the way that Husker Du, for example, was treated, uh, at Warner's, um, might've been a different story for, for REM where they chose to sign.
1: Who knows? Right. I mean, yeah. It's actually funny. Both. I mean, replacements went to Sire, which was just Warner different you know, arm of Warner brothers.
2: Different kingdom. Um,
1: yeah. Continental um, corners but yeah it's just i, I was like the grant heart song i just think it's such a great song because mm-hmm. you guys managed to like capture the the energy and spirit of who's could do like you're saying greg said it was in his dna but mm-hmm. like just write this really cool tribute I, I love the lyrics you know and i love that i love the line nervous children uh making millions you owe it all to them it's just such a cool lyric and like you totally like you get why you wrote the song? That I will pretty say pretty that Green, message. Yeah. yeah, like Green Day yeah. definitely did. Like Billy Joe made no secret about like uh his love of like replacements and Who's could- do which was oh, which that's was nice. cool. Yeah, yeah, like a lot of people would think that they were coming from like a Descendants sound, and he was like, "No, nah, I wasn't really a fan. It was all about the Minneapolis stuff." Um, so that was cool. So speaking of replacements, I know we mm-hmm. we talked uh you know who's could do but i have to say you guys got to tour with the replacements right at the very end of the replacements um i guess right when 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 the failure record came out is that right you they picked you guys to play some shows how did that work uh
2: yeah well um basically when failure came out what i didn't know is that uh paul westerberg is like a holly's fanatic um and, and he you know he talked to us quite a bit about the hollies um when we were on tour and um he so the you know the hollies came up as a comparison uh quite often with our vocal blend and some of the 60s kind of things that were going on in that first album of ours um and it got you know that record got some traction um in in minneapolis and uh me if i'm wrong but uh wasn't lori uh paul's wife who was a dj there in minneapolis yeah am i am i, am I or I his sister correct?
1: i think his sister was a dj actually paul westerberg's okay. sister um because that's how well, I was prince knew it
2: was a long time ago yeah. um anyway well we got the, the the fact is we got picked up in the station in minneapolis a commercial station and um and uh and that the, yeah the attention of Paul. It was somewhere in Paul, someone in Paul's circle, and he was really into it. So yeah, for Don't Tell a Soul, we opened up the Seattle and Vancouver shows, um, which is actually our first show ever in Canada at the time. It was like in May of 1989. It was the the reason I quit my day job. I'd already quit college uh, because of the band. Um and then I had just gotten like a little crummy job. And then um then I once those shows were happening, I was like, I'm actually now too busy to actually work. So I have to take the choice, keep working and not do the band or starve and do the band. Naturally, I took the star and do the band. Um, we're but we're then, um, yes, well, thank you. I'm sure everybody who would have ever worked for me, uh, worked with me at a job, realizing how incompetent I am at most things. is probably glad too. Um, so uh, then, um, two years later uh, when we were touring for year 23 our, our major label debut we did that longer tour um, which they were doing all shook down and chris mars was no longer in the band uh, steve foley was playing drums steve foley who later passed away sadly um so and it was the kind of the uh we, that was you know t- we just did two dates for don't tell a soul and um we d- and then we did uh boy we did a bunch of shows we went from We started in Davis, California at the school there, worked our way down the the California coast, went over to Phoenix, Austin, Houston, Dallas, New Orleans, uh, Tuscaloosa, St. Louis, two nights at the Aragon Ballroom in Chicago. And the last show was at the Central Park Ballroom in Milwaukee. Um, So quite a good run. um, And a very unusual, I mean... um, I would say that the Replacements 1991 version was uh, extremely able. Um, There were no low lows, um, but it did have some difficulty getting to the high highs of some of the, I mean, I'd seen a couple, I saw the Replacements twice on the Please to Meet Me tour, um, and those, I mean, those were just brain-searing best rock shows I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, both of their Seattle shows, strangely enough, they came to the same venue twice in 87 and they're both just mind blowing. So I, I, didn't see anything that was like as good as that. Uh, I know that's a, kind of an easy complaint, but you know, it's also, I know how it is to work in a new band member and stuff like that. Um, and it was also the no drinking tour.
0: Uh, yeah. So,
2: um, and the apology tour. So <laughs> when we played with them for, um, uh, don't tell a soul we did we played in um oh yeah something like this here's how it was the show that i saw in seattle we saw uh, in 1987 for uh pleased to meet me the, the two shows each with the young fresh fellows opening it was july like july 5th 87 and then december something 87 amazing 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 shows evidently Uh, One of those two shows, the ones where everybody shaved off their eyebrows, both bands, um, was uh, either preceded or immediately followed by a show in Portland um, so disastrous that on the vinyl of Don't Tell a Soul, it's etched Sorry Portland into the playout groove. That's
1: right. And then they (laughs) wrote the song Portland on the B-side called Portland, too.
2: So there, there's all of that. Um, so, you know, I was just lucky in that I never saw one of the, you know, fall on your face, too drunk to play replacement shows. I just happened to see the show where they said, shit, we better get our shit together Is that, uh, in, in in Seattle after that. So the the tour we did in 91 was basically they'd come into all these venues and the band would walk in first with the crew kind of following. They get off the bus and go in and, and they walk in and before just the production people saying hello, they'd be like, Hey, look guys, we just want to say the last I have to do it in like a Minneapolis accent, the last show there, you know, we're really <laughs> sorry about that. You know, that's more, a little more Chicago, but you know, they just like, they would just start apologizing like right off the bat, just to say, you know, don't worry this time it's going to be different. Um, you know, we, we know it was a mess last time. <laughs> we were walking into Tipitina's in New Orleans and uh, there's a, there's a bust of professor Longhair." In the entrance, as you as you walk in, um, and I'm kind of just a couple of paces behind Slim, and he's like, "Oh yeah, check out Professor Longhair," you know, and I was like, "Yeah, cool." And he's like, "Yeah, last time I puked on him," and he wasn't <laughs> kidding. I mean, like that's just that's just how it was. So uh, Slim, I didn't really see drink at all. Paul was drinking um, Sharps and Odules and stuff like that. And Tommy was drinking like Heineken's, but he was still kind of like not going f- full, you know, he was not going totally crazy. So there was a lot of, um, we better get our shit together for this one.
1: So you did get lucky. Cause yeah, you hear, yeah. you hear obviously the stories about them playing a horrible, like the show yeah. in Portland, um, you know, and it's just like, ah, you know cuz you think like i can't imagine you know especially before the internet again it's not like somebody could be like yo <clears throat> i saw them play last like it's kind of like you just had to go in not n- having no idea what to expect which is cool but also can be you know detrimental so i um i guess to you know to start to wind things down i uh i wanted to ask See, we cheated with you. We talked about replacements and who's could do, which I'm totally cool with. Um, but I figured you, you know, the Posie's torn with replacements, I'd so be a just a, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention. Do you have a favorite Who's Could Do album?
2: Uh, ooh, Um, I keep saying that the answer is yes and then I keep switching it. So um, you
1: can just say as of today, yeah, <laughs> Sam,
2: I can relate. Yeah, I, I don't know, like um, I gravitate back to, to Warehouse uh, just because the, the, the memories from that time are so good uh, of, of when a band that you really love nails it um, is, is, a, is a nice feeling, um, you know, just as much as if they kind of deliver something lackluster is a really terrible feeling. Um, and I was listening to it recently, um, uh, just before we were playing with Greg and, and kind of going back over that. And, um, I think that that is really a masterpiece.
1: And then do you, would, uh, do you have a favorite Bob song and a favorite Grant song?
0: Tough uh, question. Of, of all
1: time. <laughs> uh, from, from could Do. Well,
2: no, I mean like from their whole catalog. Sure,
1: yeah. Yeah, if you have, have um, one. It's no tough, pressure cuz mine would change mine would change daily as Constantly. Well, so.
2: God. Um you know you know well a song, you know what song I really love that I think is kind of a kind of a slightly forgotten gem um, is up in the air. Mm-hmm. I think that's a just okay. such a beautiful song. I mean, it's just kind of it's not really like the, one of the most popular tracks, but it, it is really beautiful. Um, I love that one for a, a Grant song. I mean, sorry somehow, sorry somehow is like the the best kiss off song I think I've that's ever been written. I mean, like not even John Lennon you know, writing how, and it's like, or something like that. No, no, there's, there's, it's weird because it's like, there's so much acidic, like anger to it, but it's also so, um, there's so much hurt. So it's not just angry and one dimensional. It's, it's really intense. I mean. Uh, yeah. I that, think that's, he, Grant, that's
1: Grant really brought it on candy, apple gray. I think that's yeah. like, like, I always say like, that's the one where he, he came in, I think, with the better batch of songs, and Bob's Bob said that himself that like Grant had the better songs. I mean, that was why, I mean, and that was why I thought it was cool. You know, we love. I'm a huge Bob Mold fan, but sometimes it does seem like because of his prolific career after and and Sugar and you know the solo stuff. I mean, he's still putting out for my money incredible music. His solo albums, yeah, with with his yeah. band with Jason Arduce and. John Worcester is just like so good. But Grant kind of, I feel like, got left in the shadows. So that I loved that the Posey song was Grant Hart and not Bob Mould, just because I think Grant needed a little more shine. Um, yeah, because he wrote some of their most incredible songs. I mean, if you go by Spotify numbers, Don't Want to Know If You're Lonely is, is their most popular song.
0: Yeah. and then that's oh, really? an
1: incredible, wow. great uh, song, yes yeah. single. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. so I guess I I'd, I'd be remiss too if I didn't just ask a little nugget about REM. Mm-hmm. Um, you played with them from '98 yeah. to 2005. Jude and I decided as well that uh, I think I only got to see REM one time, and, mm-hmm. and same with him. And we we yeah. believe that you you were in the band for both of our times. I saw them in 1999. So you would have been uh, on that tour, right? And I saw them Where in two thousand four. Yeah, mm-hmm. I saw them in Camden, uh, New Jersey. I'm I'm in the mm-hmm. Philadelphia area. Yeah, and, uh, it was a fantastic show. Yeah, and I remember being so excited because you guys played Pilgrimage, and I was like, "Oh, this oh, is yeah. like a deep cut." And um, and then you yeah, had Jude. You saw them, what at the was it the Spectrum?
0: Yeah, it was the was it it was the Vote for Change tours two thousand four. So it was it was you guys, REM uh, Springsteen, Bright Eyes, I think like John Fulgherty came out. Yeah. Yeah. So that, uh,
2: like, um, the Wachovia center. There you go. Yeah. That's it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah so, which is
2: whatever it is now.
0: Yeah. I, I couldn't even I tell you. I think
1: yeah. it's still, I think it's is the it? Wells Fargo center now. Got it. Yeah. Okay. But, mm-hmm. um, so, you know, you, you got to play with them for seven years, which again, as someone who I know you grew up listening to REM and that had to be a real trip.
2: Definitely, that's that's definitely the word for it. Um, I mean, it was a, a very wonderful experience, no doubt. And um, uh, it was a wonderful uh, to find that, the, that these people who I already admired so much um, you know, uh, lived up to my uh, vision of them, in a sense, you know, they, 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 they were really generous, very kind. Uh, super creative, um, absolutely top-notch organization, run very well. Um, so yeah, all, all of that was a great experience and, 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 and the music was great. I think we, we did um, some really cool
1: stuff on the Reveal album that I worked on um yeah i mean mike mills mike mills says reveal is his favorite rem record by the way i don't know i'm sure you would know that more than i would but yeah in interviews um and i think that is a vastly underrated um album of theirs Uh, hopefully they do reissue of it because to get a vinyl copy is it's a lot it's a (laughs) lot of money i bought it on cd when it came out because you know that was the thing and now we all want vinyl but um yeah there's some great stuff on that record. Um, and I know you contributed um, a lot to that one. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's had to be cool. And then, you know, obviously you get to play, you got to play with Big Star, um, which I guess will lead me into the final thing. For the right. future, you've got a lot of stuff. There's the Big Star uh, in New York, right? Uh, in November, right? doing big star stuff
2: like basically a uh you you could call it like a a tribute show except that um jody stevens big stars drummer is in the band that's at saint anne's yeah november 7th um what else i have an online show september 11th um because uh not only is it the 20th anniversary of uh the tragedy of 9-11 but it happens strangely enough to be the 20th anniversary of the release date of my solo album, Touched. Um, so uh, what what can you do? Um, th- that album is forever entwined with uh, 9-11. And I think there's some interesting kind of cosmic destiny about that and, and, and just what the album's subject matter deals with is strangely kind of a an appropriate tonic for the kinds of emotions that were going around at that time, uh, with grief and loss, and 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 uh, and some of the, um, shall we say, prejudice that was arising arising out of the the events, um, it's all somehow all those subjects are covered on an album that was written without any knowledge that it would be released on that day. So right. anyway, I'm doing an online show um, to play that album, and um, we'll you know give some money to uh, the. Stephen Siller Tunnels to Towers Foundation, which uh, benefits uh, first responders and uh, military families uh, for their sacrifices um, to the common good. And how can Um, people
1: get, uh, is it KenStringfellow.com if they want to get tickets?
2: I think the best way to do it is to go uh, follow my Instagram at KenStringfellow and the link in the bio uh, will have all the upcoming events there. Uh, which I believe I put the, um, the big star show up there too.
1: Okay, cool. And then, um, of course the posies, we both attended the live concert stream, uh, at the end of July, which was so much fun. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's still a VOD if anyone
2: is is curious, um, the, the, if you go to the posies Instagram, you can link to that. It, it, it will stream forever now. That's the new thing. Okay. I would,
1: I would strongly recommend, um, If you're a fan, which of course you are, you're listening to this. Um, If you're a fan, watch the concert. It was like two hours of just like banger after Mm banger, as the kids would say. Um, Mm -hmm. Some deep cuts, I know, because some were fan requests Um, and just a super, you know, really cool. I love love the pivot that people have taken during these kind of uncertain times of like getting live live music out there in any way they can i thought that was really cool um and the posies have i know you did a single sideways last Mm -hmm. year great song um and i have talked about before but new album in 2022 that's the idea yeah that's 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 the hope um
2: i mean it's pretty much done it's just basically finding out a way to to get it out there um and also just feeling out the touring world a little bit, um, to see where things go in the next few months to see what's realistic.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah I'm everything's kind
2: of go on tour. It's, it's just a, it's still a little bit kind of a foggy moment right now.
1: It is so yeah. I, hopefully next year. Um, cause again, we would love to see you and mm-hmm. say hello when you come to Philly. Um, and, uh, you know, Really appreciate you taking time to, to talk to us today. Uh, My pleasure.
0: Man, how cool was that, talking to Ken Stringfellow?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, you know, we, we I think we talked, too, about, like, the Posies or just one of those bands I freaking slept on yeah for years Mm -hmm. like really i should have i mean i remember dream all day yeah i mean i'm sure that was on 120 minutes and well it was on you know and just i mean i knew that song someone says you know whenever someone said the posies that song would immediately like get hooked in my yeah uh in my head but i don't know it was like the last several months just went on a huge yeah, deep dive. Both of us. Um, you know, got a bunch of records and some of the discs and um really hope to see them live in, uh, yeah. in the flesh, you know, like Ken said, hopefully sometime next year. Um, when they have a new record. But yeah, it was cool to, I mean this guy was like, I mean, for me too, like he was in REM.
0: I know, and yeah, saw him in REM. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like, he,
1: like that's a big deal, you know, Peter Buck asked him to be an REM, Damn. you know, as like a, and, and he definitely, uh, you know, reveal by REM, which is the first one that he's on is actually a, a very underrated, I think, record in the, in the REM canon, especially, uh, post Bill Barry. Yeah. Um, you know, around the sun, which he's also on is like, generally regarded as like their weakest record it's not his fault of course (laughs) you know he but even the band i think like they they basically admitted like they worked they worked on it too long
0: oh yeah that's what they said yeah they
1: uh i guess what happened is they started working on it and then they did that um uh in time Hits collection, so they were like compiling that, and then they toured on that, and then they came back after that tour uh, to work on it, and um, you know, just it it kind of got like muddied a bit. Yeah. Um, And they songs sound much better live though, so that's a testament too to Ken, right? He's he's there live, so like if you listen to. You know, the, there's a live album, not the, he's not on the Dublin, but the, it's just called R.E.M. Live. Um, I believe he's on that. And they do several songs from around the sun that sounds awesome. But yeah, Ken, like I said to him, I bought a Lagwagon record because of that dude. Yeah. Like, you know, they're a cool band, but that record specifically is, it's like cool because it has his, uh, his fingerprints on it. He's produced and played guitar. Super cool. So if you had to tell someone to ch- check out a Posey's record, which one would it be?
0: Oh gosh. I don't know. That's hard. I would either frosting on the beater or amazing disgrace would be like my go-to. How about you? Yeah, probably the same. Like
1: it's, it's funny. Cause the, oh, three, yeah, the three Geffen ones. Yeah. So deer 23 and then the ones we mentioned, like Dear 23 is a little more like jangly. Um and but it has like golden blunders on it, which is yeah. like that's a huge hit song and yeah. my big mouth. And like so, yeah, really any of the geff, any of the geffen, the three geffen ones I would say start with. But like the first album is really good. I feel like it doesn't get talked about enough. It's mm. a little more Smithsy, yeah. Uh meets like The the Beatles. And then, you know, the later stuff. Um, so they did let's see, Amazing Disgrace. Then they had a record called Success uh in '98, where they went back to um
0: back to an Indie. Yeah,
1: back to an Indie. And that one's actually pretty good too. Like, I just think something about those, those, those Geffen ones are just, you know. That's my favorite. But yeah, the, it's called Success. Uh, and then they did, then they were they went on like a bit of a hiatus. And then they did a record called Every Kind of Light.
0: Mm.
1: Um, yeah. And then a record called uh, Blood Candy. And then their latest one from 2016 has some real great songs too. Yeah, and, uh, that's called Solid States. And they're working on a new one. So yeah, they got they apparently got
0: one, I think I think it's in a can. I was gonna say I don't want to. I don't want to say in the can, but I think they're kind of putting maybe. Oh of- yeah,
1: I think they're mixing and. But like, I think it's recorded.
0: Yeah. So. so um.
1: That would- yeah, I'm excited. But yeah, for I think to be honest, I feel like if I had to tell someone, it would probably be frosting. Like yeah. when I really. Solar Get down to it. Song. Yeah, because it's. Oh good. So, yeah, and that's that's like my hot one of my hot tracks. There's a bunch on there. But uh, yeah, Solar Sister, but. I think that one's like the perfect mix of like some of the jangly stuff but some of the more like
0: uh urgent like kind of
1: yeah punky like amazing disgrace which we already talked about yeah yeah we'll have to do an episode on my
0: mind goes toe to toe with the replacements alex chilton
1: absolutely yeah it's like the same kind of deal and it's just a great uh song but that record is uh a lot of loud guitars. I yeah. love the sound um and the and the production um of that one. But yeah, definitely if you're a fan of us and the hooskers and the replacements, don't be like us. Don't sleep on the posies. Yeah. Um there is even a greatest, if you really want to get down to brass tacks, like there is a best of that you can stream. To check out that has just the best of the geffen ears, but there's also like a reality bite soundtrack song and come couple mm-hmm. like a big star cover and i think a holly's cover and a chris bell from big star cover so
0: yeah.
1: that could even be a cool place to start just to get a taste yeah so yeah the moral of the story is ken rules don't be like us
0: yeah so. you can deep dive into the posies if you haven't already
1: yeah, definitely. So yeah, I mean that's that's really it. Next next time we will get to Zen Arcade. We just wanted to get this out there um for people to hear while it's fresh and while you have a chance to tap into that live stream. The good news is is the way that Ken and the Posies have done these is if you're listening to this a year from now, you can still go and purchase a a ticket to watch it on demand for yeah. you know, X amount of time. So
0: Got it on VOD.
1: There's nothing like seeing it in real time. Though.
0: No, it's awesome. It's awesome. All right. Well, next time, yeah, we'll be doing "1984," "Who's Classic," "Zen Arcade," recorded at Total Access with Spot. That's their last one recorded at Total Access, um, right? Because after that is New that'll be
1: a that'll be a beefy episode. That'll be. I think we'll be above the hour and fifteen mark on that.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, easy, easy. Yeah, um, it's over seventy rocking minutes of um music on the album itself. Yeah, cool.
1: I'm looking forward to that one, and, and uh, I think it ties in great with this because you know that was the record that Ken, you know, first checked out. So yeah,
0: yeah, because of the because of that Rolling Stone review, right? Yeah, awesome.
1: All right, well. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Yeah. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the summer. Zen Arcade will be coming very soon.